Welcome back to the Monica Matthews Show. Happy Friday to you, America and beyond. Life, love, and liberty. Life. Huh. What's going on in life? A lot. Life's always going on, right? Which is a good thing. If it's not, you're six feet under. Love. What's going on with love? Hmm. Love is on life support, I think. But prevailing, nevertheless, because love always prevails. Always. Right? Love is the greater of all of these. And liberty. <laughs> Speaking of life, uh, life support, liberty is definitely on uh, some form of life support. I think she's been given remdesivir as well. Um, you know, wow, the world is writhing. What else is new? But this is a new level of writhing, at least in my lifetime. And maybe it's because I'm smack in the middle of it. I don't know, because I'm actually paying attention, right? But I got to tell you, I think everyone's paying attention. Even our kids, even though you don't think they are, but they are. You can go to TikTok. I I do not have the TikTok app, nor do I ever plan to have it. But um, people send me videos, right? My daughter's on it. Everyone in the free world is on it, it seems. But when you see the conversations that these kids are having, right? And uh, they're, they're extraordinarily informed, um, and very opinionated, right? And so um, they're engaged. They are engaged. They're engaged in every possible way. Many of them are engaged because they enjoy the adoration. Adults are the same way whenever it comes to social media. Uh, but many are engaged because they feel they've created their own family online in the way of their, quote, followers, right? I was just watching a video by uh, someone who I consider a friend and a uh, truth teller and someone who is maturing in his faith and really in his profession. He is a friend of mine. Um, I have come to love him and support him and pray for him consistently. I've prayed for him since I met him. Uh, But he published a video today uh, talking about God's power in his online family, right? Like he referred to his audience as his family, not as followers, right? Not subscribers, but family. And I really appreciated that reminder. A lot of times I catch myself saying followers when referring to people in in various contexts and conversations. And, but the truth is you guys are my family. I have referred to you as family, Um, And I mean that, and I know he does for sure. You guys, if you follow him, uh, Stu Peters, uh, you were responsible for helping save a man's life through his platform. And it's really God's platform, right? And yes, Stu can be just, you know, wild man on the air, go get him, gangbusters, ballbuster, whatever you want to call it. Um, You know, he's hard-hitting. Uh, He's not for everyone, and he's for a lot of people, but I believe that his heart is in the right place. 
And what do I mean by that? You know, does someone have a teachable spirit? Or are they just so full of themselves and so haughty that you can't, um, you can't teach them anything. You can't present new information and have them retract. That is someone that I would turn off. Someone who is not capable of receiving correction on a matter is someone that I would simply turn off. And I know there are several Congress people who disagree with me with regard to Stu, and that's fine. And that's primarily because, you know, you've been skewered by him. And I get it, but my admonition has been and will continue to be, if you don't like being skewered and someone who is in a position of influence has invited you a number of times onto his platform or her platform to to set the record straight, then it is incumbent upon you to set the record straight, not continue to throw darts from behind uh, other personalities. That is not... Uh, adults, that is not mature, that is not leadership, and it's really entirely unnecessary. It's really an affront to the millions of people who listen to Stu every week, every day for that matter. So, I, you know, again, I'm not here uh, pushing the Stu Peter show in as much as I am, I am admonishing um, actually, I am celebrating you as his audience, as my audience. I know many of you cross-pollinate um, for saving someone's life who was in the hospital near death. I uh, at least gave the man the right to try. Uh, Stu has a, you can check out his video. It's on my Telegram, but it's also on his. He is not on Twitter, but he is, uh, I believe you can still follow his work on Twitter, though, at Red, Red Zone Media. Um, but he is... Uh, yeah, he's definitely on Telegram way more than I am. I do not engage Telegram. I fell out of love with Telegram uh, last year. So many, I mean, almost a year ago, actually. So um, yeah, but you know, kudos to you. Kudos to you all for being family um, and taking care of one another. And that really is, that's love. And and that love, right, uh, assisted in in, in procuring this man's life, his ability to, to, to choose life for himself and his liberty, right? So love, actual love, God's love will always, always lead us to life and liberty because that's who he is. So congratulations to all of you who partnered with Stu Peters in, um, in, in, uh, taking on the, I guess it's mercy. Stu refers to it as merciless hospital. Uh, he's in Minnesota, um, a high profile case. And, you know, and like he said, um, both of us, and I, I turn a lot of things over to him, but both of us, you know, get inboxes uh, full with people who are just at their wits end and they don't know what else to do. They don't have an advocate. And, you know, I'm encouraging you all to start gearing up for lawfare where it comes to these hospitals and their barbaric, uh, unmitigated, just incredulous, ridiculous, evil practices of keeping you away from your loved ones when your loved ones are sick and or dying. That is absolutely the most insane freaking thing I could think of ever. 
And as someone who is a hardcore patient advocate and have been my entire life, I can tell you that is some BS right there. And you all should be taking these monsters to task legally. And you should be doing it together. So there are attorneys out there who would love to take on these cases. I put up a tweet today. You guys can go check that out. What are the basis of being able to file a suit against your hospital? And I would take on the hospital and I'd take on every single individual had anything to do with uh, with uh, it, receiving your loved one, caring, quote, caring for your loved one. If your loved one took a turn, if they died, I would, I would, every single one of those people would be on, on my suit. And once you start putting people on notice that that's the route you're going to take with regard to being separated, I watched a thing today from this family whose loved one uh, is in stage four pancreatic cancer. She is slumped over in a wheelchair, uh, kids beside her, and they're having to leave her in the care. Uh, they, they have to sit out in the waiting room, including the husband. She has to be rolled in by herself, stage four cancer, because of, quote, hospital policies. So I'm just telling you what my route would be. There are, listen, as as many ways to Sunday as liberals can find their way through every crack and crevice, and I'm not a litigious person, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, in, inherently I'm not. I, I prefer the biblical route whenever it comes to settling disagreements. But sometimes it's impossible to settle a disagreement with someone. But if you're dealing with uh, malpractice, malfeasance, maladministration, uh, those are things that I absolutely believe um, should be litigated. 1,000%. You know, speaking of litigation, Julie Kelly is someone who's covering January 6th um, and has been very well. Uh, If you don't follow her on Twitter, you should. I don't know if she's on other platforms, but she is for sure on Twitter. And she is uh, a wonderful journalist. Uh, Again, another just ball-busting, gang-busting, just all out there, right? She's hard-hitting, not afraid to tell the truth. And um, she puts on, she she tweets that uh, there was a couple that was sentenced, I believe, today, who were participants in January 6th, but they were walking in in the Capitol, you know, like they shook hands with police officers on their way in, you know, nothing violent. Uh, They weren't charged with, um, you know, uh, attacking police officers or anything that, you know, people should actually be charged for. Um, And she, uh, she says that the judge, you know, basically put them on two years probation and I think they're uh, in home, uh, you know, re- restricted, right? Restricted to to their ankle monitors in home and in two years uh, probation for quote parading in the Capitol. And you know, when I guess their attorney must have asked for some type of leniency or or a lesser sentence, and uh, and and she said she basically shamed them for quote believing lies about the election of 2020, which led them to the Capitol that day. Now, when I read stuff like that, and I'm a critically thinking human being, and I'm sure the judge is too, right? I mean, you can't be a complete dummy and end up on the bench, I hope. I mean, I have known some interesting folks. I've written for, I've helped with several campaigns of some interesting folks, but and I wondered how they 
thought they were going to do well as a judge. But nevertheless, I realize how political those positions can be, which is a real freaking shame because it becomes extraordinarily partisan when it's not supposed to be, right? Because remember, justice is supposed to be blind, wink, wink. So, and ask my friend who, you know, runs spaces and I co-host crypto, um, you know, is out of Florida, former DOJ, and his own handle, his own profile on Twitter says, justice is not blind. (laughs) So that should tell you something, right? But I'm watching this going, okay, critically thinking human beings can look at the evidence coming out of Arizona, Pennsylvania. I'm just going to name a few that are like just recent within the past three weeks, right? Actually, this evidence has actually been ongoing since last year, right? So now it is a lot of things are starting to take on a different shape, which is why you see certain folks who are politically minded, who are in positions of judicial authority, now starting to take a different route in order to crush their political opponents. And that is a really sick and twisted approach to law, in my humble opinion. Right, Because I believe in due process, and I believe in justice. I don't believe in conflation. I don't believe in hyperbole. I don't believe in false accusers trying to construct some false nexus and narrative of criminality in the form of conspiracy. I mean, it's insane around questioning an election, which is your constitutional right. And there's protocol that goes with questioning the results of an election. And the left is trying to criminalize anyone who took their constitutionally mandated approach to questioning the election of 2020. It is absolutely mind-blowing. And I don't hear anyone else really sounding the alarm over this other than just a whole lot of bitching on Twitter. So... With all of the evidence, this is what I tweeted in response to Julie's tweet, tweeted back to her. With everything coming out in Georgia, right, over 2 million votes unaccounted for, all that evidence gone, right? FBI shredded, more shredded last year, evident ballots gone. Supposed to hold on to ballots for 22 months, gone. Gone into the ether. Uh, Digital images, gone. Super gone. Nowhere to be found, right? Just boof, vamoof, vanished, just gone, <laughs> right? Uh, Wisconsin, look at what's happening with Wisconsin and their legislature now. They're on the eve of, I don't know if it'll happen, if they're anything like our legislature. They're all, you know, they're all a part of the problem. Uh, not all, but most are a part of the problem. Um, they're on the eve of, of retracting their, uh, their electors. What is that, 10, I think, from Wisconsin? Yeah. So you, you got to know that it's Arizona, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia. You know, these things are out there. There is evidence for the ignorant in this country who just, I mean, it is mind-blowing that I share soil with some of these people, truly. Because no matter what you put in front of them, no matter what it is, they are so hell-bent on being Anything other than Republican, conservative, Donald Trump. That 2020 will forever be aligned with Donald Trump as opposed to election integrity, which is where it should be. 
And that's one of the main reasons why you cannot take people's teeth out of this, uh, the big lie of 2020, because they see it as an indictment, a, a prosecution, and a, and, a, uh, and a verdict, and a sentencing, and basically a, a hanging, a proverbial hanging of the Republican Party and the person who was on their, uh, on their ticket as, as the candidate who was the incumbent at the time, Donald J. Trump. That is how people who are so rabidly opposed to Donald Trump see the election results of 2020 and anyone who questions them and their viability. I'm just telling you, that is their rabid mentality because they were primed and pumped for that for four years for this level of, you know, people call it Trump derangement syndrome. And it, I honestly believe that if you were to take a scan of people's anatomical brains, I really do believe this. I believe that if you were to say his name, right, or anything to do with him, play something in the background while they're in their MRI scan and watch certain parts of their brains literally light up. Probably the anger and violence and, you know, who knows, fear, you know, all of that. Seriously, I'm not kidding. And I say that because I've watched enough of them online uh, in videos to know, yeah, I'm just so scared that Donald Trump is president. I'm like, we're just, we're never going to be. I'm like, wow, you were the safest you've likely ever been in this country. Now look at us. Crime is up by like four forty three thousand percent in D.C., which I'm going to tell you about that. So, you know, the last time I was in D.C. was months ago. And I just drove in for the day to have lunch with a friend of mine. I just got the hell out of there because I don't like it. It feels demonically oppressed. I think the Cubans were in front of the White House that day, you know, doing their thing. And God bless them because uh, they know. They know what communism is, right? They know we do not want communism in this country. So as this, uh, quote, administration is shipping Cubans back while allowing every other immigrant in the world to come in who could not care less about whether or not we're a constitutional republic, mind you, because they have no idea how we secured it, much less how to uh, maintain it. So, you know, easy fodder for the Democrat Party. So, but I'm telling you, y'all better get ready to start poaching some people. Get out there and evangelize, politically evangelize folks. So, I'm in D.C., and it just feels like this weird, I can't even explain. It's just dark. It's like empty. Your federal buildings that we're paying for, empty. Empty. I don't know where these people are. Where are they? What are we living in right now? Is this like a LARP? Is everyone an actor? Like, where? where is everyone, right? So a friend of mine, um, someone who works within the government sphere, um, drives through D.C., calls me. Just last week says, oh, my God, place is a ghost town. I was like, yes, it is. And I 100% believe it's because God has removed his Holy Spirit from that town. I just do. I can see it in the spirit. It is dark. It is wicked. It is vile. It is, it is the valley of death. It is the valley of death, at least in the spirit realm. That's what I see, and that's what I discern. That's what I feel. And when you drive into the city, you too will feel that you are living out a Mad Max scene. And the crime rates speak to that for themselves. So we are living in very dark 
medieval-esque times in this country. You know, I in, in speaking of just medieval and the way that we treat each other, I stumbled into a space yesterday that had 20, I don't know, the day it started, it started like 24 hours before that, and it had like up to 27,000 people in this space. That's that's a lot of bandwidth for Twitter. Um, and it, they were talking about uh, black Americans versus Africans, okay? And, uh, um, you know, Nigerians, Ethiopian, people who come from the continent of Africa, Okay. There, there is a, and listen, I, I wasn't even totally privy to what the whole, uh, you know, rise up was about, um, amongst these two groups of humans. Okay. But as soon as I heard a particular name who will remain nameless on this podcast, because he is absolutely litigious and not all that, um, stable, shall we say, but uh, he is someone who has fanned the flames of every level of division you can imagine in this country between blacks and whites, um, and apparently he was fanning the flames between Africans and black Americans who are now referred to as foundational blacks. You're going to hear more about that. You're going to hear more on that term in the coming days, weeks, years, I'm sure, because foundational, it will become more mainstream of a, of a term. So you may as well prepare your psyche for it, okay? Foundational blacks are, are black people who have been in this country and whose, whose ancestors were brought here. It, it could have been uh, by slave trade. Either way, they were foundational in the building of the United States of America, okay? And they're still here, right? So, so they have designated themselves as foundational blacks because, you know, we all designate ourselves. So and we all have caste systems, whether we want to admit it or not. So then you have the Africans who come from the continent of Africa willingly, right, in this day and age. They, they make their way here because they want to seize uh, new opportunities, perhaps for an education uh, or employment, right, or to pursue the American dream of owning a home and a business and you know, having your 2.5 kids, whatever. And um, so they make their, their way here willfully. Okay. Well, the Biden administration, quote administration, has has now divided these two camps because the foundational blacks believe that the Africans are here to take their opportunities, to take their jobs, okay, um, and to take educational opportunities as well. So it really does amount to opportunities and what is fair. All right. Now, mind you, this is all within the context of a very real push for reparations that is absolutely mounting. And for those of you who don't think that your black Republican candidates will push for that, I just want to remind you to tune into my spaces sometimes and or crypto spaces, and you will absolutely hear from their mouths that they 100% back reparations, but they are running on a Republican ticket. 
Now, I am not going to get into the conversation of reparations um, on this show tonight because you know where I stand on reparations, and you know that I believe that until an individual or a group of people, um, a family, a culture, has an identity rooted in, for me, it's Jesus Christ, right? Because for me, Jesus, it just seals my identity all the way around that completely surpasses nationality, um, the color of my skin, my ethnicity, you know, my food preferences, sexuality. It, it just, it transcends all of that. Okay. It is, it, yeah, it transcends. I'll just leave it there. And so I believe as a Christian, but other people have, you know, maybe they're Hindu, I don't know, or Buddhist, right? And, and so their identity is in a belief system in something, someone that is higher than themselves. Okay. But also enlightens them. It completes them. Now, as a Christian, I'm going to say, I believe that I'm completed in my identity in Jesus Christ. That's just me. You do you. Okay. I would hope that you would choose Jesus because I would love to spend eternity uh, with most (laughs) of my, my listening family. Some of you, I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, so this whole identity crisis that we're having in this country is very real. It is very real. And, and I've told the story on the show before of sitting in a meeting one evening, uh, of a group that is a, is a private group and it is a, um, it's it's a group that I'm trying to think of how to because I've talked about it before, but it's a group that honors a particular poet from a particular point in history. Okay, and 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 all of these guys, you know, they wear their kilts and they can find their quote clans, uh, not to be confused with something racist, but they can find their family lineages, right? And so along the wall uh, that lines this particular hall where they host their meetings, you know, I happen to be a guest this one night, and I'm looking around the room, and we're in the height of like BLM stuff just starting. You know, this was a few years ago, and in the race conversation was just getting heated, and I'm forever around that conversation for one reason or another because it matters to me primarily, and um, and I'm looking around the room and I see this poster. That's, that's like a lineage outline of different familial clans. Okay. And I'm like, now, isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, it's like the Holy Spirit dropped something into my head and it's into my spirit. And it's like, and it was so filled with compassion, is how I know it was the Holy Spirit. Okay. And it's like, Monica, look at that over there. All the men in this room can trace their bloodlines, their roots, back to um, other men, right? Other women. They have an identity in the earth that they can trace. And that's very important, right? So it's, yes, it is. Imp- that's why I keep pushing Jesus, 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 because for those of you who don't, who can't trace your lineage. You know, all of us in Christ, our lineage transcends this earth. And while it may be grievous, you know, I don't know my biological father. I don't, I've never met him. I've heard his voice once in my life, 
but I've never met him. And on some level, it has bothered me because I, at one point in my life, I wanted to know who my exact, uh, you know, who my father was, right? It's really important. But it's, but at some point along the way, I just made peace with the lineage that transcends earthly lineage and started to invest in the maturing of that particular identity. Because no matter what is in my father's bloodline, no matter what characteristics of his I have, while grievous that I don't know them on an intimate level, that I cannot relate to them or find comfort in them or find some form of familiarity in them, on in days, you know, on days that I'm struggling through something or I want to understand something about myself better in this whole process of a process of self-actualization, um, I turn to the truth that I believe in that Christ Jesus is my identity, which transcends my family's bloodline. But what that revelation did for me was just it's not as if I didn't already know that, but when I saw it and I saw the camaraderie and the brotherhood and the, and the, the parental nature, you know, just this, this lineage, this, this human, human, not transcendent, not spirit, but human lineage, right? Earthly lineage that these gentlemen could reach back into time and see themselves through the lens of time through other men, right, through their bloodlines, there was a real compassionate moment for me, and it brought me to tears sitting at the table because I realized that black America, most of black America, foundational blacks in this country, do not have that reality. They do not have that honor Some would call it a privilege. I don't call that a privilege at all. I call that reality for people. I call that an honor to be able to know where you come from. I do. And and I call it, you know, just, I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it's, I think it's important to the human experience. And so people who are pushing for reparations somehow believe that the payback financially, monetarily, for the blood and sweat and tears that were sewn into the American soil on behalf of foundational blacks is going to repair the deeply seated, deeply rooted anguish, abandonment, Rejection, fatherlessness, confusion. I could go on and on. That rests in the souls of our fellow human beings. I think that that is misguided. I I feel like it is sociologically and spiritually anemic. I believe that it will merely um, perpetuate this continual lust, this pursuit that turns into a lust that is really just a very basic, um, basic human desire. 
to know our roots. But I do not, I fundamentally do not believe that reparations will atone for those sins. I don't. Any more than I see what happens to people who win um, lawsuits, you know, injury uh, cases after, you know, accidents and whatnot. And yes, it does help to ease uh, the financial burden with regard to a debt, you know, medical bills. That is, but that's, it's almost like comparing apples to oranges. And it really does a disservice to black Americans when you compare things of that nature, because they're not synonymous. They're not. Because one, there was a, there was, there was a, a physical occurrence, you know, I'm, I'm talking about accidents here and people who win injury cases, you know, that may have resulted in a lifetime of, I don't know, maybe you're now in a wheelchair. Maybe you can't work anymore. You know, I mean, there are certain uh, formulaic expressions that go along with that. Um, but, and yes, you do contend with the soul of a person who has just been, you know, instantaneously uprooted out of their lives because of the negligence of someone else. Or maybe it wasn't negligent. Maybe it was just an accident. Maybe something happened with their cars and they collided. Um, you know, but nevertheless, someone is paying for it. Okay. And so with money, right. To try to remedy that, to try to atone for that. But atonement has much deeper and far reaching implications. Atonement is about the soul. Atonement, atonement, you know, in Christ's, in God's sphere, atonement required blood. I want you to think about that. And so whenever you hear people use the term atonement, when I think of the term atonement, I get a little bit of a chill because I'm not sure people realize what they're saying. And if they do, then I definitely get a chill. Because that atonement requires blood. So whenever you look to your news, nightly news, right? You look to Twitter, you look to your literature on what's happening in the world, all the blood that's being spilled, the wars, threats of wars, rumors of wars, blood, 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 blood. I want you to think about what I just said about atonement. So when you hear people talking about atonement, really understand what that means. And if you're someone who's using that term, please do your research and your homework on what atoning for sins meant. And, and for people to have been purchased as chattel, right, and enslaved like animals, treated like animals, that is sinful, and there is an atoning for that that has occurred in the spirit, right? And I, and I still believe that in this country there is great opportunity to do great things together. So whenever I went into this space yesterday, wow, I did not realize I'd go there. But when I went into this space yesterday, I went in just like I normally do to listen. I'm like, oh my gosh. Uh, they had bumped down from 25,000. I think there were like 3,000 or so whenever I jumped in. I don't know. But um, 
I'm just listening, you know, and I'm going on about my business around the house and I'm like, okay. And a lot of great points were brought up. Um, oh my goodness. It was really fascinating. You know, I love, that's what I do. I surveil, I, I not surveil, but I, um, I analyze people cause I love it. I just, and primarily because I just want to understand and I want to be able to relate and bridge and, you know, and heal. I mean, not everyone who is, who is analyzing you is out to get you. <laughs> so, uh, although I don't know some of the circles, you know, I've, I've come into contact with in the past year. I'm like, hmm. but, uh, lessons learned, but I, I feel like when you take the time because you care about people to listen to them without engaging in the conversation, just listen, right? Just be an observer. And that also is just part of my ministry training. I just listen. So I'm in the room listening to Africans uh, from, from many different countries in Africa um, and black Americans, foundational Americans are having this conversation and there are three moderators. There's a host and two other gentlemen and they're all black the title of the room is very clearly stated, uh, black Americans, I think it was versus or V, you know, um, uh, it, uh, Africans. Right. And, and so I was like, Oh, what is this? So I pop in, I'm starting to listen and it didn't, I'm trying to remember if it said blacks only, maybe, I don't know. But, um, so I pop in, I'm sitting there for a while probably, I don't know, 30 minutes maybe before I ever even considered that I I might have something that I'd like to add to the conversation. Um, but honestly, I didn't feel like I'd had anything because I, I felt like, well, this isn't really, quote, my conversation, right? Like this is very clearly outlined for black individuals and African individuals. And so I'm listening and I don't know, probably I'd say seven out of 10 people who got up, to, well, no, six out of 10 people who got up to spoke really kept it within the lines of the issues that they were contending with about, um, you know, the Africa, the, the uh, foundational blacks of America kind of feel like there's the, like this entitlement that, that, that people from the continent of Africa uh, come here with, right, with regard to jobs, and they kind of look down on American blacks as if they're lazy. You know, this is their rhetoric, right? I'm just listening, and I'm not unfamiliar with it. So I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, they're having honest dialogue because this is what I hear from both sides if I'm out to dinner with my friends from Africa or if I'm out to dinner with my black friends that, you know, it's both. And so these guys are, the black Americans are contending that, you know, there's just this horrible cultural mindset of entitlement. And they're basically like, Hey, you're, you're taking our opportunities and you're also doing it with a kind of like spitting in our faces at the same time. Don't really appreciate it. Oh, but remember the system is the problem and the white man must be annihilated. The white man is, and I would say probably, I don't know, three out of every 10 people who came up to spoke that they ended with that, that, that was like that. And listen, I get it. I was raised in a family where no one got along unless they were mad at me. So I totally get this dynamic and it took me a minute to really pick up on what was, what was really happening. And it, that was super grievous, right? Because I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Can you guys find within the within the constraints of this conversation right within this dialogue within these issues that you're that you're hashing out with one another that are very real issues to both of you that have that have uh nothing to do 
within this conversation, at least from my perspective, with it does have to do with a system, right? But I felt like it was super sociologically dishonest to to think that the system is only comprised of white people at this point in our nation's history, right? Much less that somehow we have to be demolished. So I must have listened, I listened to probably three or four speakers say kind of the same thing. And I'm clearly white. And my face is dead center of the room, at least from my perspective, from my screen. So, you know, no, I... I'm kind of agreeing with some of the things that people are, I'm throwing up some 100s and, you know, a lot of great points made. And especially, you know, from the people in Africa who are just like, hey, man, like we're dealing with our own civil wars over here. And this is why and this is what's really going on. And, you know, and we're over here for opportunity and and we have a right to be here, too. You know, and then I get the other side of the coin from foundational blacks who are like, hey, well, you know, then stop with all of this higher, high and mighty uh, mentality and the way you treat us and the way you talk about us and, you know, blah, 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 all this, all this stuff. Okay. So I decide to raise my hand because A, I wanted to do two things. One, say thank you for what a, a great conversation. Just encourage the conversation to continue. I appreciated it as someone in media and ministry. It was very helpful for me to be able to get a very real uh, bird's eye view of what's of what the conversation really is, not some secondhand uh, opinionated mess from someone who has a you know a deadline and a financial agenda to to make to meet right. And so, but secondly. I wanted to just push back on the fact that that all white uh, the system is made up of all white people, and that somehow you know this dangerous rhetoric of we need to be defeated. We, not the system, but we are the system, was the assertion, right? And and not only was it asserted. But it was validated by other people who would come up. And so that type of that type of rhetoric, you know, what's interesting is your Department of Homeland Security has white people and white supremacy as the number one danger to this country in the way of domestic terrorism right now. You've got the three letter agencies. I, I would I would venture to say not the CIA because I have better things to do, but you've got the FBI, you've got DHS, you've got other agencies out here who have openly, and the DOJ, mind you, openly stated that white people are the single most danger to this country. And I and I'm just telling you now, as a white person who is not a danger to my country, it absolutely offends me to sit back and listen to that false accusation. And so I decided I wasn't going to sit back and listen to that false accusation. I wasn't going to get off of that platform and go bitch about it on my Twitter account. I was going to address it head on because it deserves addressing. And everyone in that space was articulate and they were uh, critical thinkers. They were very passionate and they deserved to have someone step into the conversation to break that cycle of rabidity that was being repeated amongst a group of people when I could have just gone and reported it. And nothing would have happened. 
because we've had anti-Semitic groups reported that were openly calling for the murder of Jews on Twitter. Yes, that absolutely happened. I mean, it was horrible. Uh, a host that I co-host with uh, went right in there and recorded it. They castigated him, mocked him, threw him out. It was a mess. And so, as the story goes, I request to speak. And at this point, there's probably, I don't know, maybe 2,000 people in the space. And I'm thinking, the guy had just announced, the host announced Listen, everybody be patient. There's 50 people in the queue to come up to speak. And I know how that goes because I host my own spaces. And so I thought, all right, I'm going to go ahead and clean the kitchen, keep doing my chores. You know, I don't even know if I'll even get up to speak, but what the heck, what the hey? And I'm white. I'm not even sure they'll bring me up, right? And so I raised my little hand, my request to speak. Within 10 seconds, I'm brought up to the speaker, which was kind of a clue that either I was getting ready to be publicly flogged or, you know, because I have a blue check mark, they were moving me to the front of the line. Either way, I felt like, oh boy, this probably isn't going to be good because A, I just jumped in front of all of these other people, which I thought was totally uncool um, because I, I don't like it whenever people do that. If you're a blue check mark, you're a blue check mark. Okay, big deal. Um, and sure, you may have a lot of influence and I may recognize you, but I'm probably not going to jump you ahead unless I really, you know, unless you ask your request and you have something, you know, that you need to add to the conversation right then. I also don't have 2,500 people in my space either. So I don't have 50 people in my queue. At most, I have 10. So I'm not sure how that works with people who run 2,500 people spaces, much less 27,000 person spaces. Okay. Nevertheless, I'm brought up immediately. And then he calls on me immediately. (laughs) And so I'm like, ooh, okay. So I undo my mic, right? And I'm and I'm like, hi, you know, and he goes, Oh, hold on, hold on. Monica, you know, and he and the chastising begins. And basically I endure a public spanking. Because I should have been able to read the title of the room. That's how he started to humiliate me was, can you read the, did you read the title of the room? Did you read the title of this space? Did you read the title of this conversation? So by virtue of looking at my picture, he assumes that I do not have any uh, investment in the black community at all. And therefore, because of the color of my skin, I have no right to speak into the black community and black issues, which is which is a prevailing issue in this country right now, which is why most of you who are white and listening to me have just thrown your hands in the air and you no longer engage, which is exactly what the enemy of our souls wants us to do. Or you have engaged by way of capitulation and you've just laid down prostrate for the BLM crowd. You got your little, I love all black people signs in your front yard because you're thinking that that's going to keep them from burning your house down when they come through your neighborhoods next time in the summer, next summer of love. Right? So I get it. I get it because we're scared of each other. We do not have the love of God inside of our hearts to the extent that we preach and we tell people we do. Because if we did, we would give a damn enough to show up in places where we are not invited when we are literally being hung out to dry and told, thousands of people being told that we are the problem that need to be extinguished. You think I'm going to hide under a rock? 
Should you hide under a rock whenever you come into conversations like that? Are you equipped to speak to people in love at a time like that? Are you willing to stand up and be publicly humiliated without completely losing your mind and going nutso on someone's face? Have you set your mind to be able to approach people and confront issues that matter? Do you have the love of God built up enough in your heart? Do you have your own identity in Christ? That you can step to a group of 2,500 people who don't look like you and at least three quarters of them believe that you are the system and you need to be annihilated? Could you walk into that and say, hey man, um, no, no, we're not doing that. It didn't require yelling. It didn't require finger pointing or cussing or accusing. It didn't require anger at all. But I stood there and got my ass torn down by a grown man. And the way he talked to me was unbelievable. And I thought, and he, and then he puts me in the corner. Like I tried to say something. I tried to answer his questions and he kept shutting me off. And then finally, he just shuts off my mic, puts me over in the corner and tells me he'll get back to me. So I sat there for about, I don't know, two minutes. And I thought, you know what? The word says to bring your peace. If it falls on the house, let it stay. If it doesn't, dust your feet and keep moving. I tried to bring my peace into the house. I was castigated and flogged publicly. A a very, a, a verbal tongue lashing. It was not nice. It was humiliating. It was rotten. And I don't think I'm going to hang out here anymore. So I just left. And before I knew it, before I even left the room, my inbox had started to fill up with messages from people in that space of apology, of consolation, of mortification. They could not believe how that man addressed me. They were extremely apologetic. They were mortified. I mean, I've got, I can't even tell you how many of these things are in my DMs. And so I tweeted about the space and said, I, and I was told I was white and I had no place there. That, that, that is, if he has a, if they have a recording of that space and I know Twitter does, but if this thing ever went to, you know, it ever became public or it became a legal issue, which I have no intention of making it a legal issue. Like I told you, I'm not a litigious person. I went in there to make my peace. And ultimately, um, we all did make peace as the story continues. So he, um, I'm, I, I take to Twitter and I'm very measured with my response because because it's warranted. Had, had I stepped into that space to be, oh, look at me. It, had I made it about me, if I was there to make it about me, I would have taken to Twitter after that and blasted his ass particularly. But I didn't because it wasn't about me. My flesh would have been happy to do that. But it wasn't about me. It was about the larger picture at work here and the larger push for division between God's creation. So my response on Twitter was measured 
and it was very sober. And I did retweet the space and I did tell my story and people started responding to that in an apology. Okay. About five minutes, I don't know, seven minutes or so later, the host of the group DMs me and apologizes. And matter of fact, he apologizes and says, I don't even know if I can find it. I have so many, um, I have so many DMs in here from yesterday. It's really kind of nuts. I don't really remember his name, to be honest with you. But he is, um, I mean, these people were so pissed off. They could not, and I really thought I was, because I saw people, you know, fist bumping him and um, being excited, you know, giving 100s to him as he's just kind of dressing me down. And so I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be a real doozy once I get into my messages. And uh, I really had thought about just turning them off so I didn't have to deal with the blowback of people who were super excited that this guy just had his way with me uh, verbally, you know, uh, in front of, uh, oh, here's my, uh, that's so sweet, Shukri, who is, uh, please follow her. She's on Twitter. She is running to unseat um, Ilhan Omar and she is a veteran. She's a beautiful soul. And, uh, she just said that she, (laughs) she said that she spoke with both of the hosts and realized that it was uncalled for and discriminatory. And, uh, and then she apologized on behalf of them. Um, okay. So now I know I'm glad she sent me that that I could read this to you. Okay, here we go. So he says, hi, My apologies for my approach earlier. It didn't come from the point of hate or ill thought. I only felt that you probably may not relate to the struggles of Africans or African Americans. And in so doing, I thought it was okay for you to just listen. I didn't mean any harm. My sincere apologies. And then he sends back another one. If it pleases you, kindly come and have the floor. Okay. So now I'm, I'm, I willingly left the group after that scourging <laughs> and um, and thought, yeah, you know, like I said, my motivation for leaving was mm, there's no reason to stay here and try to leave any peace here. This place doesn't really want peace. So that's cool. I'm out. And, um, and so he messages me along with, you know, 60 other people. And so then I had another decision to make, you know, do I go back in? Do I just say, screw you? You know, which would, again, would be my flesh's propensity of, no, man, I'm good. I'm good. Um, But I thought, hmm, I thought about it for a minute. And I was like, you know what? Because the messages I I, I kept getting were, please come back in. We want to hear what you have to say. You have every right to be here. We're so sorry. That was so rude. That's not representative of me. You know, these personal people, you know, sending messages. They didn't want to be uh, shown in that light. Um, you know, and so I thought, okay, you know what? You had the heart to step in there the first time. You better have the balls to step back in there again. So I did. And it took heart and stones and and I did. And, um, and it was funny because the first thing the, the host did was kind of backtrack on his apology. (laughs) 
And I'm laughing to myself, but at this point, it's like, I don't care. I'm suited up in the armor of God, and I'm there to speak truth. And that is exactly what I did. And it brought me to tears because I could not believe the wonderful messages I had received from everyone. And I really didn't expect it. I just didn't. I I didn't expect any of that. There was nothing hateful. And I got to tell you something. You can take this however you want. Out of out of the messages that I received from people, 90% of them were from the people, were from the Africans. And they were mortified. Okay? And then out of the 10% of the black Americans who sent these wonderful, very kind, apologetic, you know, please come back. We're so sorry. That was awful. I would say 10, you know, 10% of the 10%, um, were telling me to, to kiss off and that I had no right to be there. I didn't get a single message like that from the Africans. Not one. Not from women, not from men. But the most blowback I've gotten are from foundational blacks in this country who are women and who did nothing more than read a headline. That's it. And so congratulations. Uh, Department of Defense, congratulations to those of you who have been busy programming the minds of Americans to hate each other and to be afraid of each other. Congratulations, Department of Homeland Security. Congratulations, FBI. Congratulations, uh, Department of Justice under the Obama and Biden administration. Congratulations. You have officially succeeded, but I'm here to tell you something. God created people like me to be able to step into situations to bring his name glory, to recapture his creation. And that is exactly what I did yesterday. And that is exactly what I intend to do anytime the Lord calls me forth to do so. I'm going to leave you guys on that note. I would encourage you that if you have the spirit of God within you and you are prompted to speak love to people who are espousing lies because they are ensnared by the devil. Don't be afraid. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Get out there and reclaim God's creation in the name of Jesus, and you will prevail. All right, have a good weekend. I love you guys. Be good to your neighbor, beginning in your own mirror. And remember, if you're an American, act like one. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.